Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here. We're continuing our series, Backstory, where we're looking at kind of what has taken place behind the scenes, before the story. Sometimes we look at all the heroes of the Bible and we forget about what, where they came from. Um, every now and then you have a moment where you kind of have like, uh, like this flashback back in time where you're reminded of things that happened long ago. I remember I had a couple of those instances recently. I was uh, hanging out and being re- reunited with some of my high school friends because I was at a wedding recently. And somebody just called me by my high school nickname. And all of a sudden in that moment, I was like, it like brought me back 20 years. Do you want to know what it is? You were- no? Okay. All right. My son's like, not interested. Boring. No, my high school nickname was Scrappy. Okay. That was a nickname I got in football because I was the little guy, but I was, uh, I was a little Scrappy. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard that name in like 20 years. I hadn't remembered that. And I had another instance, um, since my son didn't want to hear, I'm going to tell another story. Uh, and he was, he was actually there and I was in the grocery store and, um, my, elementary gym teacher was there checking out and I was right behind her in line and I know she didn't recognize me but I recognized her and I was like do you remember me you were my gym teacher and she's like yes and my my son and daughter were there this is a great moment in in like his because she says this she's unprompted I didn't say anything she said you know your dad was really fast when he was, I was like, thank you. That's what I've been trying to tell them, you know? And so, so I'd be happy to um, have my gym teacher follow me around. I'll pay her to like, just show up at random parties or, or show up around when I'm old and decrepit and have bad knees and slow. And she'll show up, you know, he used to be fast. You know, that would be great, wouldn't it? So we have, sometimes we're taken back to those moments uh, back in our history. And we have like kind of these flashbacks But if we're honest, there's a lot of times as well that we have some of these memories and they're not so pleasant. And it's not like things that we want to remember or even things sometimes that trouble us and bother us and still in some way identify who we are today. And, you know, sometimes those things are not trivial at all, but they're really painful. And so we've been looking at some of these stories of people in the scripture that really had a backstory. And there is an interesting one today that is unique in all of Scripture that we want to look at. And so if you turn to the, uh, with me in the Bible to Acts chapter 8, we're going to read this story. This is, this is early on in the, the, the church's history. And uh, after Jesus left the earth, the disciples had the mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Soon after that, there were some people that were appointed Seven different people that were appointed to help and support kind of like a second tier of disciples. They were out there supporting. One of those people was named Philip. And he went out and he preached to the Samaritans who were kind of a mixed race group of people, half Jewish, half Gentile. And the message about Jesus was starting to spread beyond kind of that group of people. And it was going to other groups. And this particular story is an instance where we see God really used in a powerful, miraculous way, uh, Philip, to continue to expand that story. To continue to get the message out to a very unique and unusual person in scripture. So this is the story of that. 
in Acts 8, 26. It says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Down by, you know, the Gaza Strip, just kind of south of Jerusalem, that area right by the Mediterranean Sea that still kind of fought over, and that's where he's going. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's the water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So this incredible supernatural story is something where God dramatically intervenes in order to really preach this message and, and kind of uh, interrupt what's going on in this unique Ethiopian's life. In verse 27, we see a bunch of things about this person. We learn a lot about this person in one short verse. It says in verse 27, all of these things. It says, you know, he was Ethiopian. So he was uh, from Africa. He was, he was there, and, and Ethiopia is just, it's south of Egypt. And that was a region in that time that had these queens that were in control. So he's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. A eunuch means he was castrated. He was castrated as a servant of the court and they did this in some cultures and places in order to ensure that this person would not be a rival and would not be a problem. And so they would castrate these, these people that were servants when they were fairly young. And they knew that later on they would not experience puberty like everyone else. They would not grow up like everyone else. They would not have the same testosterone that would make them strong. So they wouldn't be a military threat. And they also would often have eunuchs just kind of oversee certain things where they knew, 
I'm not going to have to worry about this person. They are kind of a neutral threat. They, can, they often would supervise like harems of women because they were not a threat. So this person was, had an awful backstory, a horrible backstory, this practice that was awful, and this was his lot in life. And this was his experience. He was an Ethiopian eunuch, but he was an important official. And so he was unique in another way that he became, uh, came to prominence and had some value. He was important. Many times the eunuchs were very disposable. He had been successful and had an important position and was in charge of all of the treasury. That's an important role. He had uh, charge over the money. And he seems to be a very wealthy person himself. He's traveling there with kind of this chariot motorcade all the way to Jerusalem to do these things. He is a powerful, wealthy person in that regard. And um, another thing that's very unique is it says he came to Jerusalem to worship. He came worshiping and seeking out the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jews. He's coming to worship and seek that out, different from his culture and his upbringing. This is a unique individual. This is, this is somebody that has an incredible backstory. Lots of different things have taken place in this person's life. And it's almost, the, the picture that I kind of get is almost like, Maybe one of these um, uh, unsettled, powerful, rich people, or maybe a famous actor or actress that says, I don't, I'm, I'm just not quite sure what's going on in life. And so they go off to a foreign country to find themselves. It's kind of what it feels like a little bit, right? He's going out there seeking God, seeking answers, seeking something. And he goes and he worships. He's like, I want to know about the God of Israel. He's going and he's coming back from worshiping there. This is a this is an interesting person. That more than likely at his home country was probably somebody that other people made fun of. He was castrated. He was uh, different. He was probably in some ways isolated in that way. And he would never marry, he would never have a family, and he could never have you know, kids, all these things. So in some ways, he was powerful, he was wealthy, but in some ways he was an outcast. And he was isolated in many regards. And you know what is even more fascinating is when he goes to Jerusalem to worship, we have to understand some of the backstory of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was distinct and different. And they did not want to uphold practices of like these foreign countries where they would do things like castrate people to keep them in line. And so it was, that was forbidden for uh, Jewish worship. And it actually says in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says this. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So what does that mean? The, the, the Bible and the Old Testament worship where he was going to worship and he was going to find himself going to do all of these things. He was not permitted to participate in much of the worship. 
So I don't know what happened when he was in Jerusalem, but we know by law he was forbidden to participate in all of the things that other people could. He was also dark-skinned African and was of a different race and probably stood out in a significant way. So this person is going to try to find maybe some kind of hope, seeking after something. And he is somebody that is powerful and wealthy and has all of these things. Some, someone maybe that could be envied, definitely more powerful than Philip. But then in the same regard, isolated and sometimes feels like an outsider. How does he fit in? How does it work? What a unique individual. And what a difficult situation he finds himself in. And, and so, um, sometimes I think that somebody like this, uh, maybe we can relate to in one way or another. Maybe if you think about kind of the backstory maybe that you have, you maybe have had moments in time... Not specifically like this person, but you've had moments in time where you like look around at places like this, maybe churches, maybe you've talked to people and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if this is for me. And this is something that I've had conversations with people over and over and it continues to haunt them that they say, you know what, I, I didn't grow up with all of this and I... I, I don't know all of these stories. I don't know if this is for me. I had some things that happened to me in my past, and I don't, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if this is for me. But the reality is, and this scripture is very blunt and a, a, a direct message that is saying clearly that God is available to all who seek him. That God is there. That God is available. That God is drawing people in. And God, in a miraculous way, sends Philip directly to say, go find this person. This is the person that needs to connect with me. And so God directs this and intervenes in this and sends him there. And you see this, this person who is sincerely seeking God. He's there. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And he's reading through in the Old Testament, the, pro, the, the prophet Isaiah, and he's like making sense of this, trying to figure it out. He didn't grow up around all this. He didn't hear all these stories like everybody else did. He didn't, didn't understand it. And it very well could be he's coming back from kind of being rejected or not being able to participate in worship. And he's saying, what in the world is this? Is this God real? What, do I, what is this talking about? And we see what he reads. He reads in Isaiah chapter 35, or 50, 53, I'm sorry. He says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And he asks a very thoughtful question, actually a question that was debated many times. And uh, still, people who just 
don't believe that Jesus was the Christ oftentimes don't know what to do with this chapter in the Bible. And he says, who is this talking about? Who is it talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And that's the moment in time where God sends Philip to intervene. And Philip proclaims and explains to this person clearly, this is the message of Jesus Christ. This is who this verse is talking about. Is that there was a man who came to earth and he proclaimed uh, the message of repentance and forgiveness. And guess what they did to him? They put him to death and they rejected him. But what happened? He raised again. And it was, it was the God of the universe. And if you put your faith in him, he too can welcome you in. Can you imagine the message to this unique, outcast person? That here's the message that, you know what, it's, you know, there's lots of people in this world that maybe will say that, you know, we'll, we'll disparage your message. We'll oppress you. That doesn't mean you're far from God and doesn't mean you're disqualified from God. Jesus went through those same things. Jesus was beaten and Jesus suffered. But we can be born again. What an incredible message. What an incredible message for this person. And what, a, what an incredible way that God intervened and he was reading this and sent Philip right in that moment to proclaim that message. And the, the eunuch, in an incredible way, does something dramatic and something really powerful and shows his faith. He orders the chariot to be pulled over and he says, how come I can't be baptized? I want to be baptized too. I want to be a part of this. And he's baptized. At first I read this and I was like, wow, that is pretty bold. And that is pretty amazing for him to like make that decision right there in the moment and say, baptize me right now. But can you imagine that this is the message he'd been seeking and looking for and wanting. And finally he realized and the light clicked on. He said, you know what? All the things that have happened in my past, all of this stuff, all of who everybody says I am and makes fun of me about and all of this, the life that I had that is not my fault. All of that does not disqualify me. That God has a future for me and a hope and it's something different. And I can be identified in a different way than just some eunuch that will never have kids. I can be identified differently. And this is how the gospel is proclaimed to the Africans. This is the first person really that gets the message of Jesus Christ to the nation of Africa and he's baptized and it's an amazing profound thing I don't know what the Ethiopian did after that but here's my thought okay that he went after he went along his way rejoicing I hope and I think that maybe he kept reading in the book of Isaiah. Possible, right? And if he did, just two chapters later, in Isaiah 56, it says this. Verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. 
For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose to please me and who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I don't know why God put this in the scripture, but could it possibly be that right there in the passage, the prophet Isaiah was sending a message that would be received very uniquely to this one person? If you read on, and the message says clearly, it doesn't matter even if you're excluded and you're a eunuch and you have all of these backstories and all of this stuff that has taken place. If you follow me, there will be a place for you. There will be a place for you. You can have eternal life. And whatever everybody else says to you, you may, you may be sorrowful and you may be uh, sad for the fact that, you know what, I can never live the life that everybody else has. No, that's not true. You have a place in the kingdom of God and you can live forever and have eternal life. What an incredible message. And history tells us that about 300 years later, the queen of Ethiopia proclaimed Christianity to be the national religion of Ethiopia. And we have to believe that this man was, was the start of that. The incredible effect that he had. You see, what we have to understand through the scripture is not just get the end picture and say, you know what, all these people are so amazing and have it all figured out. We have to understand and grasp the message that Christ is giving us and saying that whatever has happened in your past, God is in the business of redeeming and making something unique in your future. That whenever unique and difficult circumstances have gone on in the past, God is in the business of redeeming and using in an incredible way. It's not because God like forced those things or wanted those things to happen, but what God is doing is he's going to use that and he's going to proclaim through whatever you've gone through in the past how God changes things and how you have a place like no one else. You have a place. I remember when um, I had one of the one of the hardest uh, conversations or realizations as a teen when somebody in a youth group that I was a part of shared a story about how for several years they had been repeatedly sexually abused. And they were just coming out of that. And they were trying to figure out what that means. What that means and what, what that means for their future. And does God love them? And all the pain and all the sorrow. And I remember how horrible. Like, my, like all of a sudden my eyes were opened. And I said, I can't believe what maybe some other people who I'm walking around with and talking and interacting with have gone through. And I had no, no, no idea. And I remember over time in our group, this person, after a while, coming to the the realization and coming to faith in Christ. And, And 
There being moments in time where they shared their testimony and shared what God had done through them and still said, this is a hard thing and this is a lot of stuff I'm going through. But there was, there was different occasions when this person's story and this person's witness was something that helped other people out in a way that was profound and life-changing. And that is what God does. God doesn't want... God does not revel in your backstory, and God did not want those evil things to happen to you if you have things in your past. But what God will do is he'll take your story and use it and transform you and others. And it will be a demonstration to the world that God can, can change you. So we can't live in a world where we just, that's who I am is my backstory. We live in a world where we say, this is things that have happened to me, but who I am is I am a child of God who has an eternal place in God's kingdom. So I think there was a really specific reason that God intervened and used this man and Philip and called him. And the response that he, sa- he has is kind of the response that I want to... You, to leave you with, from whatever side of the coin that you kind of read this story, or whatever perspective you take, is that the Ethiopian, after hearing the message, says, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? What can stand in the way? And what we would say and proclaim to a man like that is nothing. You have a place. And I wonder and I struggle with maybe people in our community and neighborhood, families or friends, they look around and say, these are the things that are standing in the way of me being baptized. How sad, right? Because there's somebody that needs to maybe come to them and say, there's nothing standing in your way. You are loved by God and you have a place. So there's some people that need to stop and say, what's stopping me from moving forward and finding God? And then there's other of us that need to say, what's stopping others from realizing that there's a God in the universe that loves them? Let's go tell people, you have a place. You are welcome. God redeems. God saves. And you can be identified by his baptism, not all those things in the past. I'd like to take a moment to pray. So if you join me. And I want you to think about that statement. That incredibly faith-filled statement that the Ethiopian eunuch proclaimed that changed his life. What could stop me from being baptized? And maybe for some of you, there's something that has stopped you in the past. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an event that happened to you in your distant past. That's stopping you from following God. From finding forgiveness. From finding hope. From starting over. If there's something that has stopped you, that has held you back. In your relationship with God, right now I want you to cry out to God. Say, God, I know that there's nothing stopping me 
Redeem me, forgive me, heal me. And then maybe for others of us that have resolved this issue personally in our own lives, we know and we confess that we're children of God, but there's still many people in our life all around us that there's something stopping them. Right here, right now, I want you to think of people in your life that maybe there's something stopping them. Something stopping them from giving their life to God. And maybe, just maybe, you might be that person that intervenes like Philip. Maybe you're the one that intersects their life and can proclaim to them clearly, there is nothing stopping you. So God, I pray that you would hear our prayers for all of us that are still struggling with something in our past that's holding us back. God, help us to hear loud and clear there's nothing stopping us. God, in our heart breaks for our neighbors, friends, and family members that are maybe out there seeking you. Maybe they're even reading the Bible. Maybe they're listening to stuff. Maybe they're trying to figure things out. Maybe they're even saying prayers, but they can't figure it out. And they're saying, like, I don't understand this unless somebody would explain it to me. And God, you've called us to proclaim clearly to the world there's nothing stopping you. invite you to take these moments, offer your own prayers to God. Seek God's voice, seek God's direction, just like Philip did. Be guided, seek God out, and when you seek him, you will find him. What is God speaking to you about today?